Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is brought to you by Momentus. It is a brand new year, and I'm getting right back into the swing of training. I've set some personal goals of trying to break five minutes for the mile and three hours for the marathon by the end of the year. So I'm going to need some help to fuel those performances and optimize my recovery. And over the past couple weeks, I've been able to try Momentus as one of the newest additions to my training regimen. It is NSF certified for sport, which means you can trust and believe that what's on the label matches up with what's actually in the package. I've been using their strength and recovery protein shake after workouts, and initially, I'm someone who felt like they could get lost in what's the proper fueling technique and how much protein I should be dialing into my everyday routine. Momentus has made it super easy for me. They outline all of their ingredients on their site, and they have a very comprehensive blog that includes expert advice as well as firsthand accounts from pros like Emma Coburn and Ben True. So, super easy. What's been my go-to? I take three ice cubes, half a frozen banana, some almond milk, and then a scoop of peanut butter and two scoops of Momentus is Arc Fire Strength and Recovery Protein. Boom. It tastes great. I'm recovering better after a workout or a strength session, and I'm feeling less soreness the next day. So try it for yourself. Sidious Mag Podcast listeners will generously receive 20% off their first order of Momentus by using the promo code Sidious at checkout when you visit livemomentus.com. That's Sidious at checkout for 20% off your first order of plant protein, whey protein, sleep formula, anything they've got in the store. In one of these episodes, I'll actually tell you a little bit more about the benefits of what their sleep formula has done for me. Live it, get it, prove it. LiveMomentus.com, promo code Sidious. Once again, thank you to anyone who has signed up to back us on Patreon. Your extra dollars recently went toward a new transcription service that allows us to compile some more show notes, and it cuts down on the time that it takes for me doing it all manually. You guys are also contributing to some of our coverage plans for some in-person events in 2021, including the Texas Qualifier. You'll hear a little bit more about that in the middle of the episode. Again, if you want to throw us a couple bucks and get behind all the projects at Sidious Mag, I'd greatly appreciate it. Sign up at patreon.com slash Mag. Thanks to John Brutterbrot, Daniel Dantis, Tyler Jones, Andrew Dickler, and Robert McDonough for stepping up and signing up within the past week. You can also support us by picking up some merch, whether it's a crew neck or a sweater or a t-shirt. Visit SidiousMag.com and hit the merch tab. All right, all right, all right. If you guys have been paying attention to the stock market this week, there's tons of people buying in on some GameStop stock. I'm buying in on Frank Lara stock. My guest for today's episode is the Roots Running Breakout Star of 2020, not named Noah Drotti. He was the U.S. champion in the 15K, despite finishing second in the race. It was after the winner tested positive for EPO, so we'll hear his thoughts on how all of that went down. In 2020, he ran 27.44 for the 10K and 61.50 for the half marathon. So we recorded this episode a couple weeks ago, and we touch on his hopes for the new year. He makes his pitch to any potential sponsor out there. I'd recommend buy his stock. And I think by the end of this conversation, you'll want to as well. So without further ado, here is Frank Lara. All right, now we welcome on Frank Lara to the podcast. Frank, uh, you've been one of the most requested guests, and so I'm glad we finally get to have you on. How's everything been going, training? You had you popped up pretty much on, on my radar and a lot of people's radar within the last, I would say, like 16 months or so, really, with like the breakthrough season that you had. So like, how's everything going, and how are you trying to carry this into 2021? 
Well, first off, it's thank you for having me. And I'm fortunate that I have a lot of people <laughs> rooting for me to be on this podcast. So it's good to actually have it have it actually happen. Um, but yeah, it's been a really exciting year full of just consistency and staying injury free, I think has led to a lot of my success. And um, after the marathon project, I'd been like training pretty consistently without any downtime for probably just over a year, just short of a year, which is like the longest I've ever gone for. And um, yesterday was my first like actual workout since then. So I like, I don't know, I, there's a lot of not uncertainty, but just excitement going forward. Cause I like, I've never been in a position where I've taken downtime after having, after not feeling like exhausted. It's always just cause like, Oh, I'm tired. It's time to take some time off. So I'm, I think I'm in a really good spot looking forward for 2021. Yeah. It's interesting because like you're, you're timing this sort of breakthrough perfectly where it aligns with, you know, the opportunity to possibly race at like something like the, Olympic marathon, uh, the Olympic track trials in June, July. So I kind of want to like take a couple steps back and go back to like four years ago. Where were you for those trials? And like, could you have foreseen sort of this path forward? For those trials? <laughs> uh, well, at the time I was 2016, that would have been coming off my sophomore year of college. I was just I was probably in Boulder because <laughs> um, I normally would come here every summer just for altitude training. But uh, I, four years later, I think I think at the time I was like, yeah, I'm going to be there. That's going to be my goal. But like, I don't know. It's weird to look back on and think that like since then I've made it because I think along the way there's definitely been some points where like my uh, um, projected uh potential wasn't like what i thought it was going to be at the time so i think it's been really cool to like i've never i've never really thought about that but it's definitely cool to think about like wow that's i actually thought i would be here and now we're like in a position where this is like a real opportunity and a real thing that could happen for sure so i want people to get to know you a little bit better let's go all the way back to the very beginning born in mexico moved to houston when you were about five years old uh so I what do you remember? Three, three. My mom often, yeah. My mom often corrects me because I can never remember the right age. But uh, yeah, so you don't you don't really remember too much about those those early days, or what's like the earliest memory you have of I guess like growing up in Texas? Um. Well, it, my earliest my earliest memory in Mexico was our apartment building. I remember we were like kind of underground where where we were in Mexico City. And I remember that my school was pink, was a pink building. That's all I got from there. But uh, <laughs> moving to Houston, um, we, it, I don't know if my dad kind of, his company got bought out or the company he worked for was bought out and he was able to move to, we were able to move to the States and he uh, wanted to open up buy a franchise, not buy a franchise, but like open a McDonald's or something along those lines when we got here. And we ended up opening a frame shop for like building and cutting custom frames. So we were in that business for a while. Um, and then my dad kind of started his own uh, building restoration business. And my mom is 
um, finished her education and ended up becoming a high school teacher. Um, I'm lucky that I didn't have to hassle like citizenship tests or anything like that because my dad is actually from California and my mom and everyone else was born in Mexico. But um, my dad's a first generation American with his family from Mexico. So it's been, I don't know, I, I'm kind of a first generation American, but also kind of not. So it's kind of been cool to like, I don't know. I, I know that there's a lot of people struggling with like trying to get their citizenship and like be able to compete for the US. And I'm truly lucky that I'd like haven't had to overcome that despite being born in a different country. Yeah. I mean, has that, how much of that do you, I guess, take pride of, as, as being part of your identity? Because I mean, you, you're a US champion on the roads, but like, has the thought ever crossed your mind of, of running for Mexico? It definitely has, but I, in my mind, my ultimate goal is to be an Olympian. And I think if I can get the Olympic standard, doesn't matter where, what country I compete for, it's going to, I should be in contention to be on the team, even if I have to be top three at the trials or something. Cause like, if I have the standard, I like, why would I, it's almost like backing down if I don't compete against the guys I like know and like train near in the U S. So I'm, I don't know. I think I just kind of, want to be um i think i'll be if if i can get the standard somebody who can be in contention mm -hmm. when does running enter the picture for your life in in texas in fifth grade i went to john paul ii catholic school it's now been renamed to pope john paul ii catholic school or saint john paul ii catholic school um we when I was in fifth grade was when I joined the track team, our like school, it, school track for our school was sixth through eighth grade. And they opened it up to fifth graders. And um, I was at lunch and they made an announcement that we could sign up. And it was like, our, our lunch was the, the, our cafeteria was the gym, obviously, because <laughs> that's how it was back then. Um, but uh, they announced that we could sign up for track. And I saw, the girl I had a crush on go and sign up. So I was like, Oh, I got to do it too. And at the time I wasn't really good at sports or anything like that. I just, just like, Oh, she's signing up. I got to sign up too. So I signed up. Um, that never worked out. Track did though, um, <laughs> which is cool to be, have that. But, uh, I didn't actually do cross country and like truly train year round until I got to high school. Right. And then from there you end up going to Strake Jesuit, which like a lot of people know of, Nowadays, because of Matthew Bowling, I feel like, does that rub you in any sort of way where it's like, you know, you'll never be the most famous like guy to, to run track from your high school? <laughs> I, it's kind of a motivator. Matthew's a really cool guy, but I, 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 I want to be the, the guy that people see like, oh, that's, that's the straight Jesuit guy. <laughs> I'm hoping to take that from Matthew. I'm pretty far behind right now if you just look at his followers, but I don't know. The guy can dream. Yeah. So you, at, at Strake Jesuit, you won a couple cross-country district titles, got to run at Foot Locker and uh, NXN. You ended up winning the Texas Gatorade Boys Cross-Country Runner of the Year Award. Is that, isn't that like, I mean, knowing how big Texas is, like the cross-country scene there is fairly competitive. I'm pretty sure that title has gone to like Craig Lutz in the past before too as well or something like that. But like, where did you sort of, how did you establish yourself on that like Texas high school cross country scene? Well, it's funny you should mention that. And I didn't plan this, but I'm currently wearing my freshman year Texas <laughs> state cross country shirt. And this shirt, uh, that was 2013 or 
no, 2010. And I remember that race being a freshman on our team. I couldn't believe I was on our, on our like varsity team as a freshman. I was like competing with all these guys. And I remember the race started and like, like a mile in looking over, like all the way across the course was Craig Lutz, just super hard ahead of everyone. And I was just like a baffled, like, Oh my God, that guy is so good. How is anyone that good? I can't, I could never be that good. Um, but, uh, I don't think my, I think my like biggest success in high school was my junior year. I was, those are where my fastest track times were from. And I, um, was just kind of like a guy that was like steadily improving, not like the best freshman in, in the state by any means, but I also, I had other, I wasn't the best freshman on my team. Even, um, we had two guys that were both 430 freshmen. And I was like, wow, <laughs> it, it was a really like competitive environment. So it was like, um, I think just competing with them and training with them. And then by the time I was a junior, I had improved to 9.15, 4.16. And the next year I was, that summer, I was like super motivated. All right, final year, got to get that state title. Um, and ultimately ended up getting it. It was a crazy day. I like, that was the day I realized that, wow, I can, I'd be, I'm the best runner in the state for cross country, at least in this race. And that suddenly it, a whole world opened up of like, there's so many other people that are still better than me. I'm, <laughs> um, and then that, that uh, reality became painfully more real with NXN, the following <laughs> the NXN and then Foot Locker. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's been a, I think, I think that state meet was the first time that I was like, I, I can be good in this sport and I want to keep doing it. So you said 416, was that for, that was the mile, right? Um, 1600. The 1600. Because I'm looking mm -hmm. right now, like at the, um, on this database, sort of your mile PR is only 414, I think, right? It's like fairly <laughs> close to what it was in high school. Yeah, it hasn't been updated. Um, <laughs> that, that 416 though, uh, every lap was a 64. Just evenly paced the entire time. <laughs> and I, I, that moment I knew I'm never going to be a mileage. <laughs> this is just top speed. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I mean, in college, I ran the 1500 mile like once the whole time and I was never really training for it. Um, looking at it now, I think it's something that can definitely be improved. There's, there was a couple 10 Ks that I was close to PRing in the mile too. So it's really? just like... <laughs> That's yeah, funny. so de definitely an outdated one, but yeah. it's it's funny that it's there. Yeah, you might as well take a crack at it this year if there's an opportunity that presents itself. Um, so from there, you decide to attend Furman. Like, what what doors opened themselves to you? Like, right after college, like, was I mean, being the best runner out of Texas was like UT an option, or like, why did you choose Furman? Um, well, caveat: I don't think I was the best runner out of Texas. I think Austin Dalquist was the best runner. Oh, that's right. Who, yeah. who uh, is now my teammate and I train with, which is a whole different story. And it's awesome that he's here. But uh, um, I, UT, Texas was, and A&M were like both schools that I visited and like really considered. Um, but ultimately, after having visited Furman and seeing like, uh, I guess the biggest draw for me at Furman was the fact that Furman Elite the like professional group that was there was being coached by coach Gary and they had like all the same resources that the student athletes had. That was kind of like, wow, if 
I know if I go here and I don't succeed, it's not because I like didn't have the right resources. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just kind of like that along with, uh, at the time the team was kind of starting up, the coaches just moved there and everyone was, all the recruits were like all really good. And they were just kind of like young guys who were like trying to build a team and like, uh, build a team that was really good and could be in contention for an NCAA uh, podium finish. And me, there was, there was like a handful of guys in our class that was like some, I think some, one of the best recruiting distance or the, one of the best recruiting classes for distance in the country at the time has just that, that really motivated me to be like, cause I, I think I could have gone to one of the other schools and have been like, wouldn't I don't think I would have been surrounded with as many guys who wanted to be as competitive as I wanted to be. And I knew that all the guys that were already committed to Furman were guys that were like finished ahead of me at Foot Locker, finished ahead of me at NXN. And I was like, okay, those are the guys I want to train with because they're better than me. So immediately jumping into sort of that college career, where did you sort of find yourself in that pecking order of like that really talented recruiting class? Um, but when it comes to workouts, like I was just picture like the university of Oregon has like a highly touted like recruiting class. And like, I feel like it could be very easy to get carried away as like a freshman where you treat everything sort of like, like a workout and you want to finish ahead of like this other guy. How did you approach that? Well, we were lucky that we were all like, there wasn't like a senior that had been, that had been like, like significantly better than any of us. So it was just kind of like a nice communal, um, we were all kind of at the same level, all wanted to get better. And um, at some points we were definitely pretty ambitious in how like we raced. I don't know if uh, a lot of the earlier races we were, I think at pre-NATS we were like leading, like our, we had like six guys in the top like seven of that race at one point, like do the first like K or something. And that, that was just kind of how we raced. It was just kind of like, you guys are gonna race stupid and just keep doing it because it's gonna pay off. Um, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I think in the terms of the pecking order, my freshman year, I, I was always someone on our team who thrived in cross country. And, um, I think that, uh, the only person that ever got me was Aaron Templeton at the end. <laughs> but, uh, I think for the first, for the first few years, um, I was kind of more, one of our best cross country guys. Where did you want to take sort of like this, this development, of yourself as a as an NCAA runner because you know after tasting that sort of like high level success of competing on like a national championship in high school it's it's not as easy in college when you I mean like you said you open your eyes get opened up and you realize that there's just so many other people in this country participating in the sport that it is tough to get to sort of that that national level and like so how did you try and get there I mean the whole team we kind of thought we're the best in the country and no one's better than us. And I, that's how we raced. We like always went out hard and always ended up dying. But um, I think we had a lot of confidence that just kind of the fitness was still like trying to catch up to that. And over time, um, I, looking back on it, I think every race I've ever run, I've run with the intention to win, whether it be um, like NCAA nationals or like our conference championship. I, 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 um, I think the biggest difference now is that I'm like actually making real moves and like making that pos making those opportunities more possible. And like, I think, I think my biggest hurdle at Furman was that I took a lot upon myself and I, I like, 
I did a lot of things that I didn't need to be doing. Like just like on our, on my easy days, I would like do a lot of extra stuff that like wasn't prescribed, but I just like had to be like, had to do it so I could be the best runner I could be. And like now I do like very little on my easy days. And it's just like such a, such a duality, such a difference from like what I was doing in college where I was just like constantly doing all this stuff and like never like really letting myself recover. And like now from running about the same mileage, but at altitude and like, um, just letting, focusing a lot more on recovery and like my well being has been like a huge change for me, I think since then. And it's now like gotten me to the point where I can actually compete with guys that I've always thought I could compete against in college, but never really did. Uh, I want to touch on something you brought up, which is sort of like that, the fact that you're able to, the one making the moves like during a race. And it was something that I kind of was discussing with other people while watching like the marathon project was uh, you were pacing, but you know, once the pacers drop off, then that's when like the real sort of racing starts to happen. And seeing someone like Cam Levins or uh, Jared Ward in that sort of front pack. And it's just kind of like the dynamics of a marathon where, everyone in that pack is looking around as to like, who's the guy who's going to make the move that like, you know, is go- is like going to command sort of this race. And because you've said like, not particularly to the marathon project, you said you're one of the guys making sort of those moves. Where do you sort of get the confidence that you believe you're the guy to make the move as opposed to knowing the credentials that are sometimes in this race? Like I'm, I, I'm even thinking of like the Michigan pro uh, half where mm-hmm. a move is sort of made but it's like everyone's kind of – I feel like everyone would be looking around at Fobble knowing that he's run 2-9 in the marathon. Like, so why is it – how do you – to put it simply, where do you get the balls to make those moves? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think the main change has been just I have, like, slowly accumulated my, like, accolades that have, like, now given me the confidence to actually be in those positions to, like – definitively say all right I'm gonna go win this thing now and I think in the past I didn't really have like it's not that I didn't believe in myself but I think it's a lot easier to have confidence when you've like done it before and like you have like you're like running fast times and you like your training's going incredibly it's, I think has been like such a change from um where I was in the past and I think that's kind of where that confidence stems from and um in that Michigan, the Michigan half, I was just sitting in that pack thinking, I wonder when this thing's going to move along. <laughs> I really want to finish this thing up. And um, um, somebody said, I think it was Morgan, said, uh, Morgan Pearson said, it's Flagstaff versus Boulder right here. Because it was like John Ranieri, uh, the NAZ Elite guys, me, um, Sydney, and Morgan. So it was just kind of like the competition there. And like a few moments later, I was like, all right, time to go. And I, I took off and was like, no regrets. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think it's, I, I'm more comfortable with betting on myself now than I've been in the past. And I think it's come from just accumulating achievements that I look back on and think, yeah, I'm good enough to do this. Um, and the whole doping thing has kind of been a good motivator for me too. That I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. So before we, we, we touch on the, like the 15K championship, I want to you know, take a couple more steps toward following sort of this chronology where with Noah and the podcast we did, like he did recognize that like there came a post-collegiate phase for him where he was you know, still trying to run. 
But really, the biggest bet he took on himself was making this move out to Boulder and pursuing it just to see how far he could take it. Did you have something? Did you follow sort of like a similar plan where you're just like, I'm going to move to Boulder to just continue to push myself and see how fast I could get? Yeah, I mean, for me, Boulder has always been kind of my dream home running paradise. I I wanted to go to see you, and I never really got <laughs> the light of day, really, but uh, or when I was in high school. But um, just because I've been coming to a running camp in Boulder since I was a freshman in high school, and in that camp, you, like, go to all the places to see you trains. You run on Magnolia Road. It was, like such a like dream and I looked forward to going here going there every summer and it was always like I'm gonna go crush Magnolia Road that summer and it was like what I got ready for every summer and um in in college I was a counselor there and like became even a closer part of the camp and I really loved it and um I think Boulder was kind of just always somewhere I wanted to be and um the Roots Running Project my team I they, they had like our coach like, often like would speak about like injury prevention at the camp. And I knew he had a team out here and I knew of his background and like how um, science-based everything we do kind of is. And that kind of motivated me because I was, I was a uh, health sciences major at Furman and I did a lot of um, human performance research and stuff like that. And like when I, when my first like official conversation with Richie about like joining about potentially joining the team happened I like was blown away because he was like saying all the things that I like loved about training just like talking about things that in my classes that I like never heard anyone else say I was just like this is amazing this is all I could ever want and like he like has the training that I like see I see myself to be ideal and also it's the place I've always dreamed of living so it was there was a, a couple groups I was talking to, but like I think none of them really spoke out to me as like somewhere I would be passionate and love to be training in a place like Boulder. And ultimately I made it out and looking back, I don't think I would have been as successful as I've been anywhere else. I mean, the success is showing after all the results you put together last year and sort of in a way, what else are you doing in Boulder? Kind of because right now, like, I guess you don't have like a sponsorship deal, right? For like an, an apparel sponsor or anything like that. But I would say, like, you're definitely one of those candidates that, like, sort of a, if you're a free agent, I want to buy stock in Frank Lara right now. Uh, what is your sort of pitch to a sponsor out there that, I mean, who knows? They could be listening uh, about, you know, getting behind you for 2021. Um, well, as you say, unsponsored. Um, I'm fine without a sponsor as it is right now. I have a job that's been that's flexible part time. So I, um, but my pitch to anyone listening out there would be: one, I'm young; two, I'm improving; three, I don't plan on stopping. <laughs> so I, I. I I don't know. I, I think I am a really good candidate and I think I'm, I, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I don't see myself faltering or falling short of my goals right now. Definitely. Plus I feel like you've had, you've got some personality when it comes to, you know, social media and Twitter and like, so you're rocking it there and it worked for Kyle Merber for a bit. So it's like, you, you can, you can get some selling points there as well. <laughs> I'm just trying to be me. Yeah. I think the hard thing is, uh, 
not pretending you're somebody. And I, I, I think I've, which is something that I've like, I don't know if you, if you scroll back to my previous, like high school Instagram, it's just kind of like, what is this? Why would you, why did I say this? But like, I think now I'm just kind of like talking how I like normally would to my friends. And that's, I don't know. It's fun to be myself. You've got a couple you things. Like you don't have to follow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you've got a couple things in your Instagram bio that I want to touch on because it's, it'd be a very unique sell to a sponsor. So the black belt, black belt yeah. in karate, taekwondo. 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 Um, How'd this come when about? We, well, when we were in Mexico, my sister was a black belt in taekwondo at a pretty young age. And at some point after we moved to Houston, she was like, I want to do that again. And I kind of jumped in into that boat and, um, I really loved it. I, we went, I went to all the adult classes though, because the kids classes were kind of earlier in the day and in the kids classes, they would get to spar with the other kids and like actually like do sparring and like fight people, if you will. But in the adults classes, they didn't really do that. It was more of like form and like power and all this stuff. And then I was pretty good. I would like go to tournaments and we would, I would, I would always do really well in like the form and like the, the like, specific stuff like that but whenever we got into the actual sparring i would get my ass kicked because i like never <laughs> never fought anyone and my dad always likes to bring up the time that i got beat up by a girl who was like slightly like shorter than me she just kept kicking and i didn't know what to do <laughs> it wasn't like a hard kick but the leg just kept flopping up there and i was just taking it. And i was like this is weird i, I don't know how to do this <laughs> so i don't know it, it's on there because it's true i have a black belt but um if the time came to fight somebody, I don't know how well prepared I'd be to do that. It's right. very different from hitting actual, like hitting paddles and bags and stuff. Right, because that's what I'm wondering. It's like, you know, is it oh, is it the type of deal where it's like once a black belt, like always a black belt? Like you could you could not do it for like ten plus years, but you could still call yourself a black belt. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all kind of muscle memory. I mean, there yeah. there was times when I was in call. I I like my last taekwondo class was like at some point in high school. But there'd be times in college that I was like being alone in a room and I'd be like, just practicing my moves and just like, hey, I still got it. I can still jump and fly and kick that really high thing. So um, I have, I don't really have the space for it here. So I haven't really practiced that. <laughs> and I don't want to risk injuring anything now. Definitely. But, uh, but uh, I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of self-defense things that I know. And in terms of disarming people, if anyone were to, God forbid, try to attack me. I don't know why they would. I'm pretty approachable and friendly, I think. But um, yeah. You can also it's, run it's away much faster. Yeah. Yeah. Might as well do that. <laughs> <laughs> You've also got first chair French horn from 2007 to 2010 and then from 2011 to 2013 listed on there. Explain that one. <laughs> um, so from 2007 to 2010, I was French. I was first chair French horn in, in middle school at our junior high. And um, when I got to high school, I, I believe I, I, I didn't start out as first chair as a freshman, that would be ridiculous. But I think the fall, the next um, year when our seniors graduated was when I was first chair. So that's, that's the reason for the two different sets of years. Because there was a time I wasn't French horn. So I can't just put the whole, there was a time I wasn't first chair. So I couldn't put the whole thing there. Um, but I was someone that I don't know why I was first chair. <laughs> French horn wasn't something I was like passionate about by any means. And I like, didn't really practice 
much. Um, I was much more interested in playing rock band, the, the video game. And that's kind of where I got started on the drums. And I, I see myself as a better uh, drummer than I do French horn player, but I, I have no accolades to back that up like I do for the French horn. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. <laughs> see, what I, what I love about that, honestly, is that you explained why there's that two sets of years as if someone would have fact-checked you on this. You could have just said 2007 to 2013, but no one would have known. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I, I can't take that away from the guy that was first chair that one year. <laughs> A quick reminder about the Texas qualifier going down next month. We have partnered with Trials and Miles Racing to broadcast a professional meet aimed at getting some people qualified for the U.S. Olympic Trials and for the Summer Games in Tokyo. If you followed us on Instagram, you can see that we've revealed some of the early fields, including the Women's 800 that will feature a showdown between Ajay Wilson and Raven Rogers for the first time since they went silver and bronze at the Doha World Championships. It'll also mark the return of Kate Grace into action. The men's 5K is absolutely loaded with Ben True, Edward Cheswick, Ryan Hale, Drew Hunter, Sam Parsons, Joe Klecker, Ollie Hoare, and I can go on and on. Visit SidiousMag.com to get the lowdown on all the fields that we've announced so far, and they're only going to get better. Just because there's no indoor season doesn't mean we can't see these stars in action, and we're hoping to pull off this broadcast for free on the Sidious Mag YouTube channel, so go ahead and subscribe to Sidious Mag on YouTube right now. You can find that link as well in the show notes. Also, for now, I want you to get on Instagram and follow Trials of Miles Racing to stay up to date on all the latest from that meet and more. Follow Sidious Mag. I'm excited to get right back behind the mic. We're going to announce who's going to be on the mic with me. Stay tuned for more updates on the Trials of Miles Texas Qualifier. Um, the other thing listed on there, one U.S. title so far. So let's let's touch on that because I think like that's when you really popped onto people's radars is – Last year, the 15K happens. Um, this was, I think, what, the week after the U.S. Olympic marathon trials? Yeah, one or two weeks, I think. And there were some people who dropped out of the trials and went up and went and ran in that race. Um, you end up finishing second. I forget. It's Harufi, I think, right, is his name or something like that? Who yeah. Finished first, had a previous drug test suspension, um for epo right um the first time around so i think served four years for that one and then gets popped for doping again uh at this championship race where he had beat you um so he gets wiped away from the results i guess like in that race like did you in the did you feel like you were the winner like knowing the suspicion around this guy like right after I had no idea who he was. I thought I ran an awesome race. I was second at my uh, second U.S. championship ever, and I was just ecstatic with my performance. My goal was to, like, be in a position where if a move is made, I cover it, and I uh, get to the top. There's, there's a huge climb in the, in the on the course, and I, like, wanted to be the first one up to the top, and I was, and I was like, oh, I did it. All right, time to go in this thing. Um, but when he came by me, I had no idea who he was. I was just like, wow, that guy has some big limbs. I don't know. <laughs> I was just shocked. Was like, who is this guy? But he flew by me. Um, I, we kind of got to like the last hundred meters or so to go and Zach panning and BS and boss, kind of came on my short. I was like, Oh wait, this race isn't over. I'm not second yet. So I took off and like, 
a few moments later, I was like, oh my God, I could actually catch this guy that passed me a while back. And I was, I only came about a second short, but like looking back at the time, I was like, I could have won this thing. I, that was such a cool, that was such a fun race. I like, um, loved the whole experience of it. I, uh, talked a lot with all the volunteers and everything. It was just like a really awesome weekend for me. And I just super ecstatic with my performance. I was second at the U.S. championship. Um, I didn't really know of this guy's history or anything until I was in line for like the podium, um, the, like the results announcement. And, um, somebody came up to me and said like, Hey, everyone's defending you on Twitter. And I didn't know why I was like that. I have no idea why that would be the case. I ran awesome. (laughs) I was there to defend. And, um, then I saw, and was like, Oh, that's, that's shitty, but eh, I don't know. I could have beaten him, whatever. I'll get over it. It's not a big deal. I, I was still second big day for me um so at the time I was just happy regardless of the history behind it because I like I performed as well as I could that day I I, looking back I think I could have actually beaten them so it's just been like I was just focusing on like all right next time I got to be able to cover the moves when somebody passes me now is that the sort of thing because like I you know I try and think of the women competing at the Boston Marathon like the years that Rita Jeptu was in it right like that was uh, Rita Jeptu EPO to the gills practically and like was out running like the 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 Boston T like the the train um when when she was just crushing it in those sort of races and it's like you can as a pro I feel like you know what sort of like your limits are and how hard you're pushing in sort of that moment where to see someone go on drugs and like have this extra super human kind of like gear was that something that you feel like could like had you like could you feel it like that this you were pushing yourself to as hard as you could and this guy just has this you know performance enhanced gear that he pulls out of nowhere is that something that could be sensed during a race or were you just kind of like naive to to that knowing how fresh you were on the the national scale uh, on the national like championship like stage I mean, I don't know if I, looking back on it, I, I don't, I don't think it was obvious to me that he was, uh, had like some kind of advantage over me by any means. I think I just, I, I, in my mind, I was like, maybe I crushed it too hard up the, up, up that climb and looking at the splits, like I had, I didn't even have the second fastest last mile, like the guys behind me did. So like, I was still slowing down while other guys were speeding up. So it was just kind of like, um, I don't know. I think I, it's, I'm still fairly new to this and I'm lucky enough that this, the uh, suspicion and then following investigation resulted in an actual result, like a few months later, as opposed to how everyone else has this experience where it's like several years after the fact. So I think it's nice to see that and think like, okay, maybe we're actually making advancement in this being able to test people and like get them out of the sport. How'd you find out about, Oh, I, uh, got back from an easy run on my birthday actually on, and, um, I received a text from somebody saying, Hey, you won the race that you raised <laughs> four or three months ago or whatever. And I was like, Oh, that's all right. That makes sense. That's the reason I haven't received any money. <laughs> um, cause I was still, we, would, we were still waiting for the like checks for the prize money to be sent out and like people, were like DMing me like, Hey, have you gotten anything like other competitors? It was like, yeah, like other people in the same situation. I was like, yeah, I got my test back really quickly. I, 
I, I had assumed that it was there, the delay was there because they imagined they were still investigating the other guy. Um, it was it was interesting to find out the original result from the test came back negative or came back positive for him, and then um, that that wasn't announced until like much later after they like had tested him a few times after that. So I thought, I thought that was interesting, and I don't know why they needed to test more to announce the positive test from before. But uh, yeah, ultimately it was a really cool day. I uh, had kind of a small birthday celebration planned that day. So it was nice to have like a little bit extra to kind of celebrate, which is cool. Um, and the next day I looking like thinking about it, I was like, did I really win a US title? Or is it just something that was kind of like, um, given to me just based off some rule kind of thing. And I was like, all right, I'm a US champion and I'm, I'm going to go prove it. And I ran as hard as I've ever had on Magnolia Road the next day. So it was just kind of like, I proved it to myself. I can do it. And that since then, like I mentioned, like I am, I think a lot of my races are like, I'm me on a mission to prove like, hey, I'm just as good as I, as a US title says, says that I am. I want to hear this mag's fastest known time run because i went out to boulder this summer and one of my friends you know looked at the strava leaderboard um and i forget which way it is that, that you did it is it west to east or, or east to west what's the what's the tougher one that everyone tries to go after so the hard one is the uh from the west side to the east or from the east to the west but um if you start up there and go out and back is what i did so you go like you go down and then go back up, um, right. and that's what I did. And uh, a few, I, I already I had already accumulated a few KOMs from on that road, like a few uh, months before. And Sam Long, this triathlete that lives in Boulder, like came out and just like destroyed, like crushed them all. And I was like, oh my god, that guy's amazing. And he had this whole like YouTube thing. I you should check it out. It's really cool. Um, but he had like pacers, did it at like four percent, and I was like, oh wow, that that is next level. I did not try to make this like an actual, like all out effort. Um, so that was kind of in the back of my mind. I, I knew like Sam, La Sam Long is like splits like through the halfway and was like, okay, I know what pace I need to run going out. And um, I was able to get the like round trip from the top bottom up. So I, I did it the harder version that he did it. He did it on the, on the other side, but I was able to take one of his, uh, directions the easy way going down um we kind of started as a team like all right we're gonna go crush this and whoever gets closest to their marathon pace will like i don't know richie said that we would win something and <laughs> i don't know if that it was ever done um but on the way out i think i went like 458 pace or something like that and it was that was the fastest i've ever run on the long run <laughs> downhill <laughs> Um, but, uh, I think from the gun, everyone else was like, oh my God, nope, not doing that. Noah immediately was like, not with me at all. <laughs> but, um, the way back, no matter how hard or easy you take it, will always just be extremely crushing because it's a bunch of long climbs. I mean, they, they have a little bit of downhill, but it's mostly up. And like, um, that day there was points on the climbs where I was like, my leg, there's no way my legs are moving this slow. I think it would be faster to walk, but, uh. Yeah, I think the overall 15 mile time was like an hour 22 something maybe. But uh I still I have a faster time on the way up the one way that I did before, but it wasn't after running it really hard the way down, but 
yeah, I think I think that that FKT will stay there a bit. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good one to have, sort of like a, <laughs> it's a nice flex. Um, the which, cool thing is our team is also uh, uh, my the rest of my teammates are like second, third, fourth. Yeah, that's always great that. too. Because I mean, yeah. I remember seeing like Fernando Cabado was up there, I think, for a bit. Um, and and the, that's the other thing too is like I re- I remember asking like Dathan. It might have even been like in an Instagram comment or something like that because he posted about Mags, um, where it's like, what is, what's the fastest he had run it like to say? Because these are guys who didn't, you know, in the Wetmore era and all that kind of stuff with it pre Strava. Um, have you heard of any sort of other faster time? No one told me anything. Um, I, I'm sure there somebody out there will say that they're faster, and I'll believe it because there's nothing to really back it up really but um and, and guys in boulder have been training here and they're they're all they've all run like a lot of them have run a lot faster than i have so it's definitely not out of the realm of possibilities but um there's I, I think there's even some um internal dispute between cu alumni from back in the day just from what i've heard down the grapevine from what i've like talking to jay johnson about like who actually has, they have, they have like a 20 mile loop they used to do up there. And like, there's still like some dispute about who actually has the fastest time. Cause I think Kenyon Newman was supposedly the guy that had it. And then like an, an older alum was like at this alum thing. It was like, actually I ran faster that day. And apparently like, he's the only one that was there and like nobody else is there. So it's <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> I'm sure there's, there's probably, there's probably somebody that's run faster maybe, but I think it's really hard to tell because there's a lot of, miscommunication about who knows what definitely uh, that's such a funny thing that might be like worth exploring sort of like for like a, a story or something like that just like whatever it is that these cu guys just argue over um <laughs> so you you kind of you you took out sort of like that hard effort right after getting that news and then it really did sort of translate like to like this this chip that you felt like you had to kind of prove yourself as like yeah i am a national champion proved itself time after time like in in every race opportunity that you got last year why would you say things were going so well for you when it's a weird time for a lot of people to be training like you just don't know when the next opportunity is going to happen um you know it's hard to kind of get into that that mindset of full-on training cycle all over again so what did you make work for yourself that mentally kept you locked in all year well, um, prior to the pandemic and everything and the shutdowns and everything that happened, my goal was to be in a position to, to, to run the Olympic standard in the 10K for the 2020 trials, before the 2020 trials. And like, I think that was kind of always in the back of my mind, like, I have to be able to do that. And like, suddenly I have all this extra time and like, looking back on it, I definitely wouldn't have been able to run that time <laughs> and like have been in a position to make the trials in 2020. So I've I've honestly seen it all as like, I know it's been hard for a lot of people, but for me, it's been like an opportunity to like, I have now have this time and like, I am in a position where I can keep training and keep getting better. And, um, I now have, and like with every race, I've just kind of like been like, all right, another step forward. We're getting closer to where I want to be. So I think it's been served as a, the fact that the Olympics weren't canceled and that they were postponed was kind of like a huge motivator for me, I think. Mm-hmm. What's the training dynamic with the roots running group 
with and like sort of how do you and Noah like work off each other? How much of a role did you actually play in sort of his 209 success? Um, so um, being, so most of the guys in our team are all marathoners. And I, I'm like one of the few guys that was like mainly just primarily focused on the 10K. And I, from that, um, I, I've been training, like doing workouts by myself for like the longest time I've ever experienced because like, Going into the 15K champs, I everyone else was getting ready for the Olympic trials and the marathon, and I was just on my own. And then after that, the uh, pandemic happened or started, and our team wasn't meeting for practice. And so I was, again, just training alone forever, and it's just been like um, – when we started meeting up for practice, we um, – Noah and I would – we didn't often work out together because just from a training physiology standpoint, we just were doing different things. And um, when we did, though, I um, often uh, was the one that was leading all of our reps, much like I led most of the race of the marathon project. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I think I think a lot of a lot of my a lot of Noah's success stems from me. But Noah will tell you that the success I've had has come from him paving the way although i've only known him since for a short time about a year now <laughs> just, um but yeah it's it's been cool uh noah's a really good teammate and he's someone that um will he gives me more affirmation than i've ever really gotten um from someone that i like train with is like frank you're gonna be the guy that does that and i'm like wow okay noah Drotti is telling me that i can do that and i don't know it's really cool to get that from a teammate who um at the time I thought it was significantly better than me. And now I think we're on a more equal level. Noah will tell you that I'm significantly better than him now regardless. But uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to be a part of this team where we're all kind of, we kind of talk shit, but we're also, we're always there for each other and it's just really supportive system. Is the temptation or itch there to do the marathon? Yeah, definitely. I, um, after the trials for for the track, I think that'll kind of be where my uh, focus shifts. Um, but I don't want it to be the kind of thing where I like leave the track by any means. I think I coming off of the marathon project or going into the marathon project, I was actually like considering finishing the race and like debuting in the marathon on a whim. And um, prior to the marathon project, my longest run was 20 miles from like the week before. And <laughs> um going in i like um at, coming off the 10k race that i did two weeks before i was thinking there's no way i could finish it but as i got like closer and closer to the actual race i was like maybe i could finish it that would be really cool if i just like paced this race and like went out and won it <laughs> and um as 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 like we got closer and closer to the race like wow i'm, I'm gonna really practice being a marathoner and like took i took it like as if i was finishing the race like uh we did all the bottle support like as if i was got everything ready and like um really like practice like taking in my fluids and like um mason Furlick, who was the other pacer for that group he didn't bring any bottles or anything because he was only planning on going half marathon and you frankly you don't need anything for that and um i, I think he was just confused as to why i like had put so much preparation into it because I, I had like all the bottles there and um but uh when i got to 
my, I ultimately, I was like expected to get to 18 miles at that pace. And I did it and was like, all right, I can make it to 20. And I got, made it to 20. And I, then I looked up and was like, all right, I can, I think I can finish this now. So I like, the guys kind of passed me. I like tried tucking in for a bit. And um, then suddenly I could not run that pace anymore. Like <laughs> almost immediately. It was like, well, this is, I, this was so easy a mile ago. And then um, a, a few, a couple miles later, I, my vision started blurring and I like couldn't really see. I was like, this, this doesn't seem worth it anymore. I'm now two miles over my farthest run ever. And um, ultimately I was like, no, this, we'll, we'll save it for another day. It's going to be good. But uh, I think that was a really unique experience for me because I was able to basically practice running a marathon and like at the pace that I want to be running it without actually having without any pressure of like demonstrating my fitness. Cause obviously this was just kind of like a bonus thing. I like had my main race two weeks before and like, it was just really cool to finish and think, wow, I, this is going to be really cool. when I'm actually training for this. Definitely. Did you feed off of the energy a little bit at the halfway point when Fobble, I guess, I guess like screamed out to the Pacers, like we're fucking money boys or something like that. Like he, he claims like that's what, that's what he yelled. Marty said that like that, that Fobble tried to get, get the Pacers going a little bit just to encourage, I think Mason to go a little bit further than halfway. And then you to also, I, I guess like keep the foot on the gas. Was that, do you remember that moment? I do remember it. I was just, I, the first couple miles were a little slow and I think there was like somebody in the group that was like really mad about it. And then like, I think Jared Ward kind of like, guys, we're fine. <laughs> we're two miles in. Um, but uh, from that point on, we were like spot on perfect, like 454, 453, like really like in that range for the next like 18 miles. So it was just kind of like every mile I'd like look down. I was like, Oh, I feel so good. This is awesome. I'm like, Cause I, I, I really enjoy like pacing stuff, like in workouts and like practices and stuff. And, um, in college, I often would pace our teammates in races and drop out. Um, so it was like doing it on like an, on like an official, like, uh, thing with like surrounded by all these really good guys and like helping them all while, while in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to beat all these guys, which didn't happen. But, uh, well, at the same time, I was like, I'm really helping these guys run their, run their as fast as they can. And looking down, is just kind of like, with every split, you're just like that much, you kind of get a little bit of a motivation of just like, wow, I'm doing great. Just keep it right here. And then when Scott said that, I was just kind of like, oh, yep, he's right. I'm crushing it right now. One more mile, another mile, another mile, 454, 454. They just kept coming. And I was like, I don't know how, how I'm not ruining this right now. This is so easy. But yeah, it was. How many beers did they get you afterwards? <laughs> uh, no beers. I flew home like pretty immediately after the race. But um, your uh, Venmo must have been popping off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Scott Smith might have been the first one to send me a Venmo. Um, Lee Troop surprisingly did too, just <laughs> unprompted. <laughs> um, but uh, the uh, Ben Rosario actually emailed all the Pacers and had us all. Uh, asked if we would send him his, our Venmo uh, accounts and he like uh, sent that all to all the, all the racers and agents and stuff. And like, I've kind of been getting like Venmo, Venmo uh, payments, like tips, if you will, um, since then, which has been really cool. It was like, I, I, I didn't really do it for 
I mean, I, I knew I wasn't really getting paid to do it. They covered uh, the flight and the hotel and everything. But apart from that, it was, it was just kind of like a bonus opportunity for me to see what I could do, maybe like maybe try out a marathon. So it was just kind of like a nice little bonus that I got all that. All right. So looking ahead to 2021, 5K, 10K at the trials, what are you thinking? 10K for sure. Um, at the, so I'm running a 5K at, at the, uh, the Austin meet, but, uh, we're the Olympic standard thing is a little out of my, out of my range right now. Uh, as a 1356 guy, 1312 might not be in the cards just yet, but, uh, um, I, I, my 5k PR is definitely outdated. So I'm going to really try to crank that one down, but, uh, the 10k is definitely the main focus. Um, also this, Assuming if it happens, hopefully it will. I'd like to defend my national title in the 15K. So that's kind of a big motivator for 2021 too. And like defend it, but also officially on the day win, which would be much sweeter than what last year. Um, yeah, the focus is the 10K. Um, with every 10K I've run, I've made a big jump this this past year. And like now it's an even, now with every, this is the smallest jump I'll need to run to run the Olympic standard. So I think it's very in the cards and that's definitely the focus. Awesome. All right. So let's move to the final questions that I ask every guest. First one, what's the meanest thing you read about yourself on let's run.com? Uh, <laughs> um, there was a time at Furman when, uh, I think, I think there was a post somewhere about how we're all just, um, hopeless hobby joggers or something like that. I don't remember. It was it was something along those lines. I, I don't frequent Let's Run, but um, my teammates found it and it was interesting. It's funny because like I kind of embrace like the hobby jogger like nickname. There's nothing wrong with with being a hobby jogger. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, you do it because you love it. Yeah. What's the funniest drug testing story you have? I mean, I feel like it was just obvious. <laughs> funniest drug testing story? I, I mean, I've only been tested once. And you passed it. The um, other guy didn't, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was hilarious for me, not for him. Um, <laughs> I guess the funniest one would be that I, I, I couldn't pee enough the first time because obviously I'd never done this before. I didn't know the expectation was to have like an extremely full bladder that you couldn't hold in anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I had to wait around for quite a while after that and put down a lot of water. And then I learned that I shouldn't put that in that much water because if it's, if it's like too much water in the urine and they like can't really test it so it's just kind of like being i didn't know what to do <laughs> fortunately it was it was uh fortunately able to test the second sample we got for sure uh if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history assuming they could hold a nice little conversational pace with you they don't have to be a runner they don't even have to be a real person uh who would it be with and where would this run take place uh um somewhere in spain i think my uh my girlfriend she uh was an au pair over there one summer and like i'm constantly told how amazing it is and like all these pictures and i like it looks awesome and it's just everything i see in like beautiful places and movies but it really doesn't matter where my mom's been to spain too and she talks it up a lot um as to whom, I think it would be Freddie Mercury, just because I'm a big Queen fan and love all of his work and would just, I don't know, love to have a conversation about how 
of all the inspiration he got and like i don't know i, I he's one of the only people i admire so it's just like you're awesome let me let me just tell you that have you ever pulled off freddie mercury for halloween i could see you doing it <laughs> um no but uh one time uh i was with my girlfriend at sephora which when she goes, I'll always accompany her there. And uh, this lady that I think she was working there was like, at the time I had a, the pretty prominent mustache. I think she, she said something along the lines of, uh, oh yeah, she said, Freddie Mercury wishes she, he had your mustache. And I was like, oh wow, that's, thank you. <laughs> that's yeah. high praise. Um, yeah. it's, it, it's funny because like recently I've been having like it's one of those bar conversations if you were to attend any concert in history like which would it be my go-to answer is live aid at uh in london with freddie mercury and queen like that's just like the no-brainer other people pick like woodstock or or like the rock and roll hall of fame like 25th anniversary i think the no-brainer is live aid yeah yeah no i big queen fan although my favorite band is uh something a little bit out of left field that i don't think people know of i i posted about it during before the marathon project but uh dance gavin dance they are a post hardcore group post core is the official genre but that's what it stands for um there's probably more screaming in there than most most people like but it's what i like yeah all right final question has nothing to do with running you get 25 shots from half court on a basketball court if you make one you win 25 million dollars if you don't make any you go to jail for 25 years would you attempt the shots? I would not attempt the shots. No way. Smart no, answer. I, that, that's not my sport. Um, while I did play in, in middle school, I, I, I never started. <laughs> and I'm not very good at, at, at throwing things. So, no. Perfect. Well, Frank, we wish you the best of luck this year. Hopefully, you can keep the ball rolling and just uh, you know continue to knock off time on these PRs and, and continue winning U.S. national titles. So wishing you all the best of luck. Much appreciated, Chris. I'll, I'll try to make you proud. Someone do us a favor and invest in the athletes. Sign Frank Lara. Big things to come from him in 2021. Thanks to Frank for the chat, and I'm excited to see him throw down in Texas. If you enjoyed this episode and want to shout us out in your Instagram story, tag Sidious Mag. I'll be sure to repost it. Tag Frank or Roots Running. I'm sure they'll repost it. Leave us a nice little review on Apple Podcasts. That always goes a long way. Subscribe to the Sidious Mag newsletter to get all your running news in your inbox from me. Again, if you want to keep the show going strong in 2021, throw us a couple bucks on Patreon or pick up some of the cool merch. The links to do those are in the show notes. Many thanks to Momentus for sponsoring the podcast. Give their protein mix or their sleep formula a try. Shop around at livemomentus.com and get 20% off your first order when you use the promo code Sidious at checkout. It's livemomentus.com, promo code Sidious. That's all I've got. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Legs are feeling good.